You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know I say that literally like every episode. I thank everybody and I mean it. I could not do this without you. You, the person listening to this right now, I could not do this without you. So thank you so much for tuning in. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I really, 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 truly do. This episode's a lot of fun. I'm here with Dan Sugarman. He has played in a bunch of bands and he hit me up and we had a great conversation and I think you're really going to enjoy it. You know, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful thing when two people can come together sort of out of the blue and just sit down and have a semi-forced conversation that you know other people are going to listen to, but it's not forced in the way that it's like, we don't want to be there. It's just like, hey, we have to pay attention to each other. You know how sometimes people are looking on their phone or their kids running around. No, this is a dedicated time to conversation and conversation only. And it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of a cheat code to meet new buddies. And that's what I've learned through doing the podcast. And that's only possible because you listen. So a massive thank you is always in order. Anyhow, I don't want to put too much business stuff in this other than if you could please hit up American Cyclops on any of the streaming platforms. I'm really, really focused at the moment on working on my music. I've put out two singles lately on top of the Tom album, which you probably heard me talk about if you listen to this with any regularity. And I have some really crazy stuff planned. So if you could please follow American Cyclops on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and please uh, check it out on the streaming platforms. That is my music project, music slash art slash weird thing. If you could, I would deeply, deeply appreciate it. And yeah, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Dan Sugarman. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Dan Sugarman. From hey, hey. Ice Nine Kills and geez, like ev- a lot of things. So <laughs> <laughs> sometimes when I'm like, I have this person from this company, and it's a little straight straightforward. But a lot of times with artists, it's like, well, they've done like 14 things. So yeah, it's a little hard to pick which one to say, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, glad to have you on the show. This is uh, really exciting. This is going to be fun. It's an honor to be here, dude. I've as I was saying before, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time. You're one of the the OGs of the OGs, and I think it's very cool to see you still doing this, and it's it's bigger than ever, man. I love seeing it. Thank you so much. It's It's been the weirdest ride. Like, I never, this is what I wanted it to turn into, but I was like, is it going to be this? Right, right. <laughs> man, so. I mean, I, I know this is a weird thing to say or even ask, but like, I imagine this very, very challenging pandemic thing probably didn't hurt the podcasting, um, am I wrong? Uh, actually, it kind of did at first. Whoa, it was kind of it okay. was kind of weird. So everyone's availability went through the roof, which was mm-hmm. great for me. Right, but right. um, 
without people, especially in the early stages with, with people like not commuting on top of being just kind of like super unsure. I, I don't think they were giving as much uh, thought or maybe um, it just wasn't, wasn't as important to like engage in their hobbies and their, their passions in the first couple months. It was more like, is everybody going to die? Right. Like what's, like what's going yeah, on? That's a very and good so, point. So there was a, there was like definitely like a noticeable drop off right in the very beginning. And then all of a sudden, man, even before everything started opening back up, but it was like once everyone realized like not to minimize it, but like once everyone realized that it wasn't like not everyone was going to turn into a zombie right. and like start not, eating faces. Not it, yet. Not yet. We're good. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> but uh, once it kind of became like, okay, this is bad, but it's not like, you know, it's not, it's not 28 days later. You know, <laughs> right? Um, it, it then it kind of went back to to normal and grew from there. So I think, it, it was, I think it, it's is it more like five hundred forty six days later? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I thirteen think we're, I think, years later. Yeah, we're we're definitely past that year mark, aren't we? How weird is that, man? Oh, dude, That's... it's 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 so strange. And now the world's coming back, dude. Like we're the bands having all these emails about like you know tours and ideas coming through, and I'm just like, am I supposed to like? get my hopes up am i supposed to be excited or should i prepare for like what happened 30 other times in the past year do you know what i mean that's the challenge right yeah it's so hard to know i think this time is probably it's gonna stick i think it's gonna stick i think we're gonna be okay i think so man what a what a weird weird (laughs) time right Right, but uh how did how did you work through that well we we need to get into your backstory we'll get to all that let's do it yeah but uh I want to know how you got through the the pandemic, but first let's tell the listeners who you are, what you do, and then we can get into all that. All right. Um, let's do a little candid live autobiography little thing here. Um, my name's Daniel Eric Sugarman. I'm a 30 year old Jewish boy from Los Angeles, California. Um, I been playing guitar since I was like 13. I actually got, my well, there's a little bit more of a backstory there, but I remember buying my first guitar from a friend for like forty dollars to prove to my parents that I was like committed. And then for right. my bar mitzvah at thirteen, uh, all of my uncles pitched in and got me a legit Gibson SG standard. So it's like one of those things where, because I had such an awesome like injection of support from my family, I sort of felt like I needed to get good at guitar. So that was like the first fire that was lit under my butt to really, really make something of it. So I spent a lot of my formative years locked in my room doing the whole woodshedding thing. Um, I think my hours fail in comparison to the stuff that Steve, I would talk about, but I was putting in like, you know, eight hours a day. I was not, I was not doing school while I was there. I was like mapping out scales and thinking about what I would do when I get home and planning my week's schedule for practice. I was very, very uh, neurotic and, and focused on it. But after a few years of that, um, I caught wind of this, like it was like the local high school hometown hero band. They were called Fallen Figure. Um, and they were like the first real metalcore band with like screaming and stuff. And I remember hearing uh, that they were looking for a guitar player and they were a bunch of juniors in high school and I was a freshman. And I just got the nuts and courage to like go to an audition and try out. And uh, it was actually, I don't mean to get all like heavy, but it was, it was, in multiple ways, the catalyst of everything I do today. That mm-hmm. day, I did a tryout, um, got accepted into the band, joined the band. 
and walked outside to a call to my dad and my mom had just been diagnosed with brain cancer like that day. Oh man. Um, so that was the beginning of my like everything that I do is music and to like make my mom stoked. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the beginning of that. So I spent the first couple of years of high school, uh, doing that with them. And then when they were seniors, they were like, dude, we are going to college. You are clearly more stoked on all of this than we are. And there's something that you could probably do with this that we're not going to have the time for. So they just gave me the name, gave me the band and they all went to college. And we haven't spoken for a little bit, but we've, we've stayed in touch throughout the years. And I immediately went to, uh, digital pen and paper, I immediately was like, all right, well, there's this new software called Guitar Pro. And I think with that, I could probably figure out how to make the complete sound of a band. I could probably make a record happen without having these members. So I wrote an album and then I started to seek out any musician that I think could play what I was aiming to do. And like the old saying, if you build it, they will come. And I managed to find some very, very, very fantastic musicians that were around my area they were like around like Gardena and Torrance. And if any of you guys know the Los Angeles area, this is like, these are deep pockets of like me just going all over to find guys. And we made this band work. We wrote a record that was awesome. We worked with Zach Oren on our first record. He's the producer who did like All Shall Perish and my soon to be band does Blood Runs Black. Like we had already gotten in the mix of like starting to get a little bit higher in the caliber of, you know, the scene. Like we were starting to all of a sudden get offers to play shows instead of, you know, sell this many tickets to play. And I remember very specifically, this is for anyone listening to to this who might be in this position, we were being offered shows, you know, sell 200 tickets for $5 a piece. You guys can play the show if you bring this amount of money. And it was a thing that the second that I responded to that promoter, no, we don't do that anymore. We actually charge $250. The script flipped and we were all of a sudden a paid band just because I said it and we were perceived as such. And it wasn't real but it worked. And that is what got us into the realm of playing larger shows. Um, in the it sounds like it was real though. Cause it, like it, all, you, it all you have to do is, is, I mean, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but one thing I've noticed is that uh, I, I used to do a lot of like client work. I don't do quite as much of that anymore. It's like helping them with their businesses and stuff. And I noticed the tire kickers were always the ones that were the most problematic if I was just like, here, here's how much it is, and they were okay with that, they were always the best to work with. So I'm true. not saying the best as in like they just let me do whatever I want, but like they, they're the people who were just kind of tire kicking and were like, hmm, eh, I don't know if I want to pay you at all. They were always the biggest trouble, and I think that's so true. I think that's just true across the board. <laughs> it is, man. And there's there's also another side of that too, and I don't know if you vibe with this, but I've heard this in multiple different places, multiple books, other podcasts, the idea that if someone agrees to what you value yourself at quickly, then you didn't ask for enough. Sometimes I felt that way. <laughs> it's an interesting, it's an interesting like pro or perspective on it. Um, and it's, you know, the, the concept of valuing yourself is so tied into like what could be perceived as ego, but in reality, you know, money is worth something, not because there's gold backing it because we all collectively agree on it. Like it's, it's really just uh, a psychological thing. You know what I mean? So I think just in recognizing the way that money can flow, I think it's, it's a helpful pursuit to recognize how you can apply that to something as simple as no, actually we're paid to play shows and it's this amount if you want us on, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it worked. 
it did, it did, it did, it did absolutely work. And this was sort of the beginning of us getting some some movement going on with the band. And at this time, this is very strange. Uh, my now eight girlfriend for eight plus years, the original vocalist of Fallen Figure was her brother. Um, he had to leave to go to college. And then I found this dude named Sonic Garcia, who was the merch guy for this band called us Blood Runs Black at the time. And at this time, around 2007, there was no bigger metalcore, deathcore act. They were like kind of kind of the most talked about band at the time. And I wasn't really aiming or gearing towards this, but I just heard that their merch guy was an awesome vocalist. And I reached out and I sent him the record I was working on. And he, on the spot, quit doing merch for ABRB flew back home to Los Angeles and we started writing, finishing the record together. Um, months later, lo and behold, the drummer of his blood runs black was removed from that band for a little while. And because of what Sonic had done, Lech, the drummer of as blood runs black at the time reached out to Sonic and was interested in managing us. And then all of a sudden things started to happen. And I recognized that Lech joined the band, I, I think, and I'm, I'm doing like years and years and years of like looking back and trying to pinpoint, figure this out because it's just such an interesting thing. But Lech knew that he was going to be asked back into his Blood Runs Black in the future. And the sense of poaching that I felt from Lech by managing the band was very, very real. The second that he was asked to be in his Blood Runs Black again, he brought me with him. So that was my like entering into an actual like signed band with an international like touring schedule and that was the beginning of everything I did. And that was when I was 17 years old. I started doing that. Um, I, I started independent study in high school because my mom's brain cancer got so bad that she was, it was, it was very bad. So I started focusing on that, doing high school um, from home, doing like packets of schoolwork while mm -hmm. simultaneously starting to tour with this Blood Runs Black. And that's effectively what I did for the next eight years. And uh, that, that got my my feet wet. It taught me how to kind of operate in the scene. It taught me how to grind and live in a van and, and like work for everything that you, that you earn. And then years later, uh, my mom's cancer again, got much, much worse. And we were given an expiration date effectively. And I decided to leave as blood runs black. This was around, I want to say like 2016 or so. Okay. I decided to leave as blood runs black to stay at home and be my mom's caregiver. And I did that for about two years. And in that time, decided to write my first solo album. And that's, that's an album called Center Sun. And I wrote that record in the seven days after I left This Blood Runs Black. And it was like a journaling process for me. I had just been given this expiration date about my mom and simultaneously just left the life that I knew for the past eight plus years. It's the only thing I knew. So I decided to use music as a way to journal what I was going through. And I found myself finding such a catharsis through that. So like the, the six songs on that record, I did six songs in seven days. Each song was basically done in a day. The seventh day was like wrapping stuff up and tightening up any ideas, but it was really just capturing a moment. Almost all of the solos are improvised. The riffs like flew out of me, the structures flew out of me. And that thing was me just capturing, I guess what I would call the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end. It was a very strange time for me, but that was what I did for those two years. I focused again on doing that, taking care of my mom. And that's when I started doing guitar lessons more full time. Um, and then during all of that, I started connecting with guys like Angel Vivaldi. I don't, do you know Angel by any chance? 
I don't know him, but I know who he is. Right. So like he and I started just connecting and, and, and like becoming good friends. And he invited me to do uh, a music video with him for Joe Satriani's Crystal Planet. And the, the video is, is, is huge. I think it has like just under 2 million views now. It's, it's wild that it happened. But that was like the beginning of me stepping out of like just doing guitar stuff from home and going back out to start playing again. And it sparked this thing in me that I wanted to kind of like share what I was going through. I kind of wanted to bring people into that journaling process that I do with music. And that's when I started this project that I called Inside Out. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was something that I did through Patreon a few years ago. And I was releasing a song every month. And based on what tier you were at, you would able, you'd be able to like watch me make the song. You'd get behind the scenes. You'd get an interview between me and my collaborator that I did. You'd get playthrough videos, tabs, the stems, um, just me talking about the background of the song, write-ups and blogs. It was like a whole array of things, but it was effectively like, follow me for the next year and watch this album form before your eyes and help me make the choices. So I called it like a living album. And uh, sadly, amidst my big plan that I was trying to do during the sixth song, my mom passed away. Mm -hmm. um, and that destroyed me. I, I wrapped that song like a few days after she passed and it was the hardest thing ever for me to do. And then I just sat on that record for like a year and a half or two years. Um, and in this time, I decided to lean more heavily into guitar lessons and starting a business. So I moved out to Texas. I started a guitar education company with um, someone who I trusted at the time and started focusing heavily on that and putting all of my music on the back burner. And in the midst of all of that, things crumbled. People aren't who they always seem to be. And I was left with a five-bedroom house in Texas alone, paying for like rent by myself in a massively depressed state because of like everything that I'd sacrificed to be there. To live. I moved away from California to be there. You know, I haven't seen my family in years and I'm trusting this, this situation that ended up destroying me. And I start going through all of these like experimental like meditations and all these like weird, interesting things that I'm very, very, very into. And uh, lo and behold, I get a text from actually an Instagram message from the vocalist of this band called Ice Nine Kills, who I couldn't avoid for the life of me. I saw that name everywhere I looked, no matter <laughs> what I tried to do. Right. And I get this text or this, this Instagram message from them like, yo, dude, you freaking rip. Like, are you, are you like available for any bands or anything? And we chatted for a second. And instead of being my typical self where I was like not wanting to do that kind of thing at the time, I was like, you know what? This is, this is who I am. Like I left this to take care of my mom and I did what I had to take care of and I want to step back into this. So I entertained the conversation and he asked me if I could do a couple of audition tapes and I sent them in within a few hours. And by the next day, the management team and the whole band was like, yeah, dude, if you want the slot, you're in. Um, so I took a week to learn an album by ear and was flown out to Boston to start preparing for my first tour, which was three back-to-back -to -back tours, three and a half months straight. It was really, really hectic. Um, and through that, through reconnecting with people, through reconnecting with bands, through like the rediscovery of performance and like energetically releasing myself like that, I decided that I needed to release this record that I'd been sitting on for so long. So I went back through that got it mixed the way that I wanted it to be mixed. And I released that record um, in, in, in a way that I was actually proud of. Center Sun, I just released and put out, but this record I actually pushed and promoted and got reactions to it that I was not expecting. So 
that that kind of brings us up to now, man. I'm I'm a I'm a musician. I'm a guitar teacher. I'm a entrepreneur. I'm a writer, and I'm an idiot who's just trying to make it happen, like all the rest of us. <laughs> you know what man, I mean? I really I really relate to that last one. Yeah. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I could have just said that and not said the whole thirty minute story, but yeah, I'm an then idiot. I'm like, oh yeah, I get you. Oh yeah, I know that. I know that life. That's yeah, that's man. Me that too. sounds that sounds tough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's you know the this whole like podcast thing is is it's been really interesting because I I viewed myself as as different than say like you know what I would consider like yourself like a legit musician and mm. um, and over the years I've realized like it's just kind of a different side of the same grind yes it's it's, it's like oh okay this is I, I I'm starting to relate to so many of these people in ways that I didn't I never thought that I would and now I'm like oh we're, we are all kind of like regardless of what your creative output is we're mm. all kind of engaging in the same activity in a way yes it's very strange to think about but it is that is the reality it doesn't matter if you're painting or making movies or whatever it is if you're trying to get out there and get in front of people we all kind of have to do the the same kind of work you know, it's not exactly the same but it's, it's a lot of similarities it's so real dude and i like my mom was a professional chef and i grew up helping her cook, watching her cook, eating her food. So everything that I know, I relate to food. And ever since I got into music, I talk about songwriting, like cooking. You're you're purveying for ingredients. You're trying to combine ingredients together. Then you have to bake them. And then it's like tasting them. And then it's the reception of the people. It's, it's no different. So like <laughs> everything is cooking to me. Painting is cooking. Writing music is cooking. Doing a podcast is cooking. It's really just like the creative outlet for it. And it's the combination of these different like raw materials that you as a collective or creative and visual individual get to make something special and uniquely you out of. And at the end of the day, the creation process is the same throughout. It's just how you kind of deliver it to people that sort of changes and what you're delivering changes. But the process I feel like is the same. Do, do you feel me on that? Oh man, I if there's one thing that you can get me fired up about that's not guitar related, it's cooking, cooking and eating. Oh. Yes, dude. <laughs> oh man, I uh, I'm 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 deep, dude. I'm I'm working on a vegan cookbook right now, so I'm 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 heavily into the food life myself. Oh man, well <laughs> we'll we'll get into that. We will definitely get into that here momentarily. Absolutely, man. But one thing, because this is in theory a show about guitar gear, kind of. Good <laughs> well let's talk about your rig like how has that changed over the years oh man i mean i guess the biggest the biggest like monstrous change besides the fact that i was like forever flipping off the idea of a, of a seven string guitar and now i'm just like i'm seven string guy besides mm -hmm. that like very very clear going against my previous moral code um i was the tube guy I was like, dude, you're not using a tube amp. Go learn how to be a musician. Like this was me for like, <laughs> this was me forever in my, in my, in my formative coming up years. And like, I was always like early on, I was the Mesa Boogie triple rec guy. And then I was buying everything angle. I had angle Powerball, angle savage. I had angle invader. Like mm. I was so deep into that life. And like, to me, nothing else was even close. Um, and then I was like, really 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 wanted to get more into like the home producing get like the highest quality that i possibly can into my DAW, and then i got a kemper and i have 
not turned on. In fact, my amps are in a storage space. I have not turned on an amp in years, dude. So like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a real big one for me. So I'm very, very deep into Kemper right now. Um, I have my custom Kiesel guitar that I was, <laughs> I was literally about to hold it in front of the computer, which is just audio recording. Um, <laughs> for everyone listening, it, it sounds pretty good, right? Um, it's, it's a beautiful guitar, man. It's got like a, an antique ash, one piece swamp ash body. Um, so it looks like an old kind of like barnyard door. And then it has these ridiculous blood spatter on it because I'm an ice nine kills, which is a horror themed metal band. And God damn it. We got to be metal. That's um, right. You got to have the blood. Got to be bloody dude. And it's got a matching blood red single pickup. Um, tone knob is removed. Volume knob is in a very special spot way the hell out of my way because I am, I've been thrown in jail for whammy abuse. I'll say that. Wow. I've heard <laughs> legends of this, but I didn't know it was an actual crime in California. <laughs> yeah, dude. So I, I got to get that volume knob out of the way. So when I'm doing all my whammy madness, that that's not an issue. Um, we've got a beautiful flamed maple roasted fretboard, seven piece walnut, uh, purple heart, maple neck. I I, sh- I should just stop because I'm I'm like literally drooling talking about it, but it is just like it's a it's a Kiesel Crescent also if anyone knows the the models, but it is the best guitar I've played hands down, and I've been I've been with a lot of companies in my early years with this Blood Runs Black. I did ESP and I had all the ESPs, all the E2s, all the LTBs, all the LTD elites. Played all of those, and I was with Music Man for years and got every form of a JP guitar you could think of. Oh man, I love um, those music bands. There's there's sick guitars, right? And and it's interesting because the way that I still have all these guitars and I'll I'll pick them up sometimes because they're sick, right? But like the way that I talk about it, and it's kind of interesting, I feel like ESP and Music Man guitars sort of feel like like toys and Kiesel feel like tools. It's a weird, mm. it's a weird thing. Like when I'm picking up a Kiesel, I like feel and hear and smell the wood. When I pick up a music man or an ESP, like wood isn't even a thought in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like a strange, it's a strange thing. So the way that I attack it, the way that I'm approaching it, I think is different. So the outcome I think is different. And I've just become such a diehard Kiesel guy that I, I'm going to stop myself from talking about it right now. But yeah, dude, so that's, that's my guitar. Um, I've got a matching six string. That's the same exact thing, except it's antique black with blood spatter on it. Um, and then a grip of other awesome Kiesels. Um, again, Using Kemper stuff live, we just get all of that stuff programmed into our set because that is one of the coolest things that we're able to do is have MIDI programmable switches on my tones. I don't need to tap dance anymore, dude. It's it's a blessing. <laughs> it, it's a uh, <laughs> the thing. I'm so I'm still like on the uh, the tube amp train, and and I will be probably I get my it, whole dude. Life I get because it. I don't have to tour. <laughs> right, right. I, I have the luxury of just spreading everything out in my in my shed and just nerding out, and I don't have to. Worry. And if and if a tube goes out or if something happens, which actually weirdly have never had a tube like fail on me. I know it's going to happen now that I've said that. Yeah, but, dude. But uh, that. It, yeah, that's they're all going to go out today now. <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter, you know. It's like, oh, my amp broke. I guess I'll take it and get it fixed. Like, right. Whereas if you're in a show situation, it's like. Hey, my aunt broke and we don't get paid now. So Yeah, dude. I I, I have I have some thoughts about that. And this is I, I will never try to Billy Maze you into going Kemper, dude. Like I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to sell you on this for, for $9.99 a month, but I will try. Um, basically, man, the issue that I have had with live amps, and this was in As Blood Runs Black Years, where this, like, before we started bringing around, like, a legit sound guy, you go to a venue and you just freaking hope and pray that the sound guy knows what the hell he's doing. Like, right. I literally, I've had my head, I've had my head mic'd before, dude. <sighs> like, like, like in, in just recognizing the fact that you're bringing in this, like, multi-thousand dollar piece of gear because that's your freaking sound, man, on and on and on. But you're at the whim of what does this guy behind the board know or not know? And is he actually behind a board or is it just a bunch of buttons to him that he's pretending to know about? Like, right. <laughs> and it becomes this thing where the the variables that mess up what you're aiming to do and what you paid for disappear. Um, so I started to realize that with a Kemper and with Axe Effects and that whole world of stuff, dude, I'm giving a direct line to either the the not knowing everything sound guy or in my, in my instance with Ice Nine, directly to our sound guy, Elmo, and he's getting the purest direct sound with zero wash from stage, which means we don't have monitors on stage, which means we're all in-ears, which means that our vocal mics aren't getting blasted with ambient sound, which means that our cymbals aren't going through our amp mics. It's like an endless thing that really just cleans up tremendously the show sound. And then on the flip side of things, I get to hit a single button and I'm recording professional level stuff. I don't need to worry about, like when I was telling you before about recording my uh, Fallen Figure record with Zach Oren, I remember we spent a day and a half miking a cab and, oh, yeah. then, our, and then our drummer <laughs> walked our drummer walked in with McDonald's and walked into the mic. <laughs> no so dude like that was our freaking tone and we lost it right so mm -hmm. and we actually had to go back and like redo a couple because we lost the tone so at the end of the day you're you're in the situation where those variables again can make your consistency go way down and you want you want a high percentage rate of consistency when you're doing that so for me turning on my amp and my students are getting like studio level quality or I'm just recording and my studio level quality is there already. So for me, the convenience of just plug and play and no variables for me to be the idiot or some other guy to be an idiot is just a blessing for sure. I'm really excited in uh, the next few weeks I'm recording with uh, Doug Castro, who is the guy behind? Oh, Neural. Dark, yep, Neural oh. and Dark Glass. So I'm real. He's this. Is, this is going to be the first time that I've ever had like a real like DSP engineer. At least, at least anybody that I know is. If they were, they didn't tell me about it. Um, so I'm really excited to, to actually talk to him and like get a better understanding of how this stuff actually works at the at the nerd level. You know, yeah, I'm really dude, really stoked about it. That stuff is incredible. And, and I'll, I'll be super honest with you too right now. Like I'm using all neural DSP stuff, all of my like demo pre-production. I know I got a good take because neural's making it sound dope. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> and that, and that to me, like that removes the fear of, you know, if I'm using X company or Y company and I could easily list names of companies that I don't think are making killer like neural, but had I be, or had I been tracking on those, I'd be a lot more uncertain of my takes. You know what I mean? Right. And I think there's something really, really cool about the digital technological ones and zero direction that all of this stuff is headed in. Granted, bass players were just replaced. Drummers were replaced last. We're next, dude. I know. Like, we're what's, next. What's, so, what's going to happen? <laughs> hey, hold on. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah no, like my, actually, it's, it's so true. It's so real. Actually, actually all this stuff sucks. Just kidding. <laughs> it it don't all buy, sucks. It's terrible. Buy nothing. Yeah, hey, uh, hey, don't. real musicians. 
That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I fortunately, it's going to be really hard to replicate uh, what I do with a computer because I don't know what I'm doing. So right. that's that's going to be really tough to like, you know, replicate the nonsense that I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Without without any descriptive or or, or, or adjectives to back that up, that's going to be a tough one for sure. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like play like him. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it it is kind of weird. I mean, the drumming specifically. So I've been really like kind of avoided modern recording techniques until very very recently, just because I've ran this dinosaur of a computer for so long that just quite frankly was is like from 2009 and just couldn't keep up. And I was like, oh, I can still record the things I want to record on it. So whatever. But I, I recently got a new laptop and have been diving into all this stuff a lot more. And I'm just like, these digital drummers, I I don't want to say it, but they're really, really good. And it bothers me that they're as good as they are. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's tough, man. Like those, those companies are just, it's it's corporations spending so much money on that perfect like snare hit. Like there's no way my budget and the people that I know and like any of that stuff will get close to what one of those companies could could spend on just that one sound. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because they it's a no brainer. They have a way to make you know money off of that one sound that you don't have. Like, right. You're we're we're hoping that our fifteen hundred streams that equal one sale will pay that back. That's right. <laughs> Right now I'm at right now I'm at eleven hundred. Come on, come Dude, on, everybody! You sold like three fourths of a track. That's incredible. I, <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. I'm I I belittle it, but I genuinely am excited because I didn't it's, think it's anyone really, would listen to it. Dude, it's 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 one of the best feelings in the world to have your stuff out there and see anyone listening and responding to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's crazy. I'm just thankful that anybody cares because yeah, because I I never thought anyone would care at all. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah, dude, just just keep pumping away at it. And like I like I stupidly said earlier, if you build it, they will come somehow. Somehow. Somehow, some way. What about pedals? We didn't, do you use pedals at all? I mean, obviously you're using the Kemper rig, but have you used pedals in the past? Yeah, so there, there was um, right around the time that I started playing with Angel um, and me like reentering back into like the the industry discussions, I was invited to perform at NAM and do like some, some of those like guitar centric, like NAM performance after show things. And this was my first time playing my solo music ever live. Um, first time ever playing alone live. And I was tasked with coming up with ways to make these crazy sounds that I put on my record happen in a live setting. And this was pre me and understanding Kemper pre me even being down with Kemper or any of those things. So I reached out to all of my companies that I was working with at the time and secured some incredible stuff. So I got like a temple board. Um, do you guys know Temple Audio? They make incredible like pedal boards. Mm-hmm. Yep. Super, super cool modular board. So they hooked me up with some awesome stuff. Um, and I'm working with Dunlop MXR. So they hooked me up with like a huge array of just pedals to test out and try. Um, obviously was working with Horizon. So I got all of those dope, like the Apex Pre and the, the precision drive and their new delay, like all of those I was playing with. Um, what else is on there? Obviously like the Dimebag Wah, which is world's best wah pedal. Um, then I had 
Aries effects, I believe. I haven't heard about them in ages, but he had built me, he had heard my record and heard one of the tones that I was doing um, and was really intrigued with the sound that I kind of found. And he just contacted me. He was like, yo, I'd like to make a pedal that like does this sound. Um, and it wound up being like a reverb, chorus, trem, delay kind of effect like Ooh. all together. And you could kind of like mix it how you want. So I had this one-off custom green sparkle pedal with no writing on it that just does the sounds from my my first record which i think is probably one of my like the secret tones that was in my live rig for those shows um and then yeah dude other than that it was a lot of the standard stuff like the the echo delay from dunlop it was the mxr uh chorus it was precision drive from horizon i'm trying to i'm like my pedal board's just in a i just moved to a new house so it's like right next to me but it's in a pile of stuff so i can't quite open it i'm trying to go off memory but there was like quite quite a few pedals i want to say i had like eight pedals on there let me try to definitely have a trem on there definitely had a chorus definitely had a verb this is going to be all dunlop stuff i think i had a protones pedal dead horse i believe if i'm not making up that name i'm not making that up am i i don't think so um maybe i am uh but there was you know there was a time in my life where i was really interested in it and it just immediately was overshadowed by holy crap what's a kemper Uh and that's and that's and that's where things shifted so like i have a a case like a like a bookcase filled with pedals that are in boxes that i like will pull out when i'm doing interesting like recording things if there's something that i don't want to go digital on if i want to do something that's like strange and unique and printed in there but typically i'm I'm Kemper life, baby. He's a digital boy now. He's a 21st <laughs> century digital boy. I'm a digital boy. It's it's nothing that it's <laughs> nothing that me eight years ago would be proud of. I'd probably like punch myself in the face for it, but like it's become a convenience. And it's it's not convenience that I'm like settling for, like where it's like I'm I'm turning my cheek to like the the BS of it. Like it, I think it's on par, if not better. And I'll and I'll say this too, because this this was honestly when I was sold. Um, there's this company called Tone Crate that makes incredible, like signature Kemper, Kemper bundle packs of like artists that you would love. Right. Um, the dude's name is Cliff. He's an incredible human being. He reached out to me about a year plus ago, right around the time I had gotten my Kemper. And he asked if I wanted to set up a signature Kemper tone. Um, I wound up, I was living in Texas at the time. He lived in San Antonio. So I brought all of my amps to his incredibly sick studio and we, profiled all of my amps as well as some amps that I am legally not supposed to talk about. And we had to call it the riff riff maestro bitey. But I will say that it is one of the rarest, most sought after amps in the world. And he just had his hands on it that week. And we, without permission, just modeled it and renamed it something else. So, (laughs) so it's, 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 it's the thing that I use all the time. That is like my tone. Um, but we also brought, I brought all of my angles there. We brought out 5150, 5153, like EVH. Um, we brought out a modded 5150. We brought out a modded dual rec, I believe, like, and a Bogner Uber shawl. We brought out everything, pulled out all the stops. Um, and there was a moment where Cliff had got all of the sounds for the profiler into the DAW, into his Kemper, whatever that whole process is. Literally, my cab makes like alien noises. It's screaming. And then he goes, sounds great. We got it. I have no idea what he's doing. Dude. It's insane. <laughs> but um, he he had a way to have like an AB switch in his studio. We had like the isolated cab in a completely other part of the studio in another room where I couldn't hear it. 
and he would hit A and I'd be playing my guitar, actually playing a riff and it'd be coming out of an unknown A and B. It was either the Kemper or it was the amp. And I preferred the Kemper tone 100% of the time. And we did like 50 AB tests. That's, uh, that's sad and scary. Right. I don't, I don't know what to even say. <laughs> that's what like, I'm saying. Like it was, uh, I, I, I had it running through the high end outboard gear. I had it like perfectly mic'd in like an isolated room by a really high end professional. And I preferred what he could do because here's what's happening is he's taking all that super sick raw tone and all that material. And then he's putting it into the Kemper and sculpting it further and perfecting it further and taking out noise that you can't really find um, through, through like a, a quick outboard, like, fishing eq kind of thing he was able to compress certain frequencies he's able to like change the cab ir and which mic he's emulating and all that bs and it just became a no-brainer it was a non-question to me like this is sick i'm a kemper guy and that tone is what i have used for two years straight right so i don't know man i don't know it's a a challenge for me still i feel we're talking about it i'm gonna be honest (laughs) yeah it's a this is the thing and this is what this is what I've said about it for years, and and I have not had the level of experience with this stuff that you have. Like I said, I'm just starting to scratch the the more modern techniques myself. But for me, like the it really comes down to like feel, and I'm so accustomed to sitting in front of an amp with way too much volume, and like the way that makes me feel and makes me play is is kind of like part of the experience. That said. I think if I took like a really good model, like a a really good profile of my favorite stuff and recorded like a DI track and also like split it off and recorded, you know, mic'd up and everything like I would like to. I think if you A, B those to me blind, I don't think I'd be able to tell the difference. Right. So that's that, that, that becomes like the total historical emotional bias and that was like that's still the thing i'm trying to shake dude like i i'm not even kidding when i say i feel weird saying that i'm i'm digital like it goes against all of my moral code dude so i i hear you i totally hear you that blind test thing is really what shook me out of my my boots you know it it changed my perspective big time yeah no i get it man it's uh it's kind of undeniable now it it really is. It, it's not the uh, it's not the kidney bean line six pod thing anymore. It's you know we've we've evolved past those days. And I, those I feel like sound good. do you do you agree with me that I think a lot of our bias of that world of stuff was bad was based on the first few waves of bad. Yeah, but I mean you know even looking back, so I'm I look across the room right now and people laugh when I like post my wall of. Uh, yeah cabs and stuff because I'll right. have like I'll have like a Benson and a satellite and a vintage Ampeg and then like also a Line 6 Spider 2 and like people are like why do you have that with all I'm like well A it's not worth getting rid of right. you know like who, what somebody's going to give me like $20 for the thing yeah. uh, and then B sometimes it's kind of nostalgic to plug into it and turn on the insane channel I'm not yeah. going to lie yeah you know? dude here's Here's a messed up kicker. Sell that line six for 20 bucks and then buy a, a, a Kemper pack for 20 bucks with 18, right. <laughs> 18 amps that are all worth $3,000. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's nuts. It's nuts. Like the, the upfront cost of a Kemper scares people, but then you recognize that like 
dude, I, I'm not even kidding. Let me open up my, my rig manager right now just to tell you the number because it's, it's a terrifying number. Um, I want to say I have close to like 20,000 different amps available to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, yep. 22,563 is my rig manager. And every single one of those is like a $2,000 amp plus that was profiled by someone who pretty much knows what they're doing, which means there's more money in that. So for like $1,800 of getting a Kemper and then the money spent on these bundles, what I'm getting is like exponentially beyond what I paid for. And that is also another one of my like (laughs) consumerism gripes with it. It's just so smart fiscally that it's hard not to do. Yeah. Especially if you need those, those options and you know, it's a, well, I mean, I think really for touring people, it's hard. It's like almost impossible to argue with like everybody. I know it. That's in like a heavier band pretty much tours with the Kempers and I can't, there's just no way to argue with it. You know, you're flying somewhere like it's hard enough to like make a living as a musician, let alone you got to like pay to fly your Marshall stack with you across the world. You know, it's just not feasible. It just is another huge piece of it, man. That stuff can cost bands thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And if it's not the shipping, then other bands that are in a lucky enough position with more budgeting will have like an international rig that's at a storage unit somewhere else where they've already paid for the stuff and are just paying for it to be stored. Like Mm -hmm. no matter what way you look at it, it's like not the best business move. But if you're like, like you are, and like I always was a diehard, you make it work. But like, that's true, man, it's, 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 it's certainly a strange one. And then we're, you know, on the, on the subject of Doug Castro and the neural DSP magic of life, I got to get my hands on a, freaking quad cortex dude those things seem so awesome they do they seem like a lot of fun they really do man and just knowing the way that like every few years technology just like levels up the kemper's more than a few years old like there's no way neural dsp hasn't cracked whatever the holes were in that and and solidified it with something that's far superior so i'm assuming that that thing's even better and if if it's got doug's stamp of approval it certainly is (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're, I mean, they're pretty bold with their claims, but I have never heard anybody say that they their claims didn't match reality. Yeah, know? and it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to recognize, man. Like, everything's shifting digital. You don't need a drummer. You don't need a bass player. You and I are next. And I already know that there's plugins where you could, like, program uh, vocals to say lyrics. Like, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, oh, like... The robots are taking over. It's, 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 it's done, dude. We might as well just plug into the matrix and call it a day that's why i gotta keep making noise stuff because that way the computers will be confused i uh <laughs> i made a song the other day where yeah, I, t- I took a a boss ps2 uh and i ran a ran a bass into it and got it to do this weird like throbbing oscillation and i was like i don't know what to do with this and i i recorded it just because and then later that night i found myself screaming into the microphone uh totally ad-libbing just nonsense and then <laughs> i was like what am i do what am i even doing right now and then i was like well you've taken it this far and i i threw up my uh, stl uh amp modeling plugin and i ran it through a 
PD sixty five oh five, yeah, dude, <laughs> on the vocal, and so it's just this me just screaming into a high gain amp sound. It's just the, I'm like you are just a ridiculous person, but dude, you know, I, I I love it, man. Like things like tape delay, like things that like the Beatles were doing back in the day. That was just like some quirky genius who was like, what if I cut the tape and then run it back over? It's like it's it's always using stuff incorrectly that leads to the coolest creative directions. Do you know what I mean? That's true. Like I've come up with some crazy weird plugin chains that like go against all the rules and it ends up being something that I will use like constantly. Like I have, I have this one, uh, I I call it like a pedal that I made, but it's really just a really ridiculous signal chain that I bust out to. But it's like, do you know the, the crystal cave scene in the Goonies, the movie? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For some reason it just brings me there. So I call it my, my crystal tone. Uh, but it's just like a, like a series of way too many things stacked on each other and like side chained into each other. And it creates this like really, really trippy, shimmery kind of like delay that creates these like harmonic resonances that are harmonizing with things past and like making other like melodies happen. It's dude, using stuff wrong is the coolest. <laughs> it is. It is. Breaking, breaking rules is music. That That's it's like you said, like the Beatles, like, I, I was told that like flanging was invented because somebody like pushed their finger on the tape as it was moving. I don't know <laughs> if that's true, but like I'm like oh, I could see it. I could see that it. makes sense. That makes sense. I think uh, I think spring reverb originally actually was them running audio through like a metal box that had springs in it. I don't think I'm making that up. Interesting. Like I didn't know that. It's it's as like <laughs> literal as it sounds. Well, I one of my favorite things in the pedal movie is when they I don't know if you watched that or not, but when they were going over the uh origins of fuzz, like the very first, you know, fuzz boxes that were invented. And it was like just because the console just broke while they yeah. were recording bass. Yeah. <laughs> isn't isn't the first the first few instances of distortion people poking holes in their speaker cabinets? That's some of it. There's there's yeah, there's broken speakers, the the supposed first fuzz tone was actually on uh, a country record, Whoa. which is kind of weird. Um, was it Marty Robbins? Dude, the first the first punk record actually is what it is. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> Let me see if I can. No, I think I think it's Marty Robbins. If I remember, I'm, my brain is not. I'm not as good at jo- as Josh Scott with like remembering all the. Uh, yes, yes, it was Marty Robbins. Dude. So yeah, the bass player like was plugged directly into the console or something, and it broke. And they're just like, well, that sounds cool. And (laughs) (laughs) so they left it. I love it, man. It's the best stuff, man. It really, it really is like the room that there is for creative and artistic choice in, in, in in all arts, honestly, I was going to say in music, but like the room that there is for that stuff is like why I'm a 30 year old addict of this stuff. Like I will just forever be pecking away at figuring out other ways to approach this, attack it and make new things because it's just cooking and I'm obsessed. <laughs> yes. Cooking. Oh, now we've reached that <laughs> point the podcast. I think we, right. this is the most guitar talk we've had in quite a while. So usually we've gotten into aliens by now, but you know, well, you I know. Mean, who's, whoever, whoever said cooking was invented by humans doesn't know what they're talking about. Oh, really? Oh, Your mom was a chef. So you'd know more than me. An actually, she was, a, she was an alien actually. Is what Your was. mother was an alien. Yes. Does that make you technically an alien or because you were born here, you're actually an earthling? How does that work? I'm going to go with 
the color red. Okay. I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs> seven. Yeah, seven. Pur- uh-huh. Purple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, ancient alien theorists contend that I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, dude. There's 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 something so just intriguing and forever like like the the pathway of the arts is literally endless. And if you ever think you've gotten as good as you can get, try again. You know, start again tomorrow and see how further how much further you can go. And it's to me one of the most endlessly rewarding while simultaneously draining things. Do you know what I mean? Like you're con- you're constantly spending your mental energy on on imagination and manifesting things that don't exist in the world as we know it. And it becomes such an interesting pursuit that I cannot put it down for the life of me, dude. <laughs> well, and it's, it's so powerful not to like get on some sort of high horse or something, but think about how your favorite music has impacted your life. Think about how certain artists, musical or otherwise, have literally changed the course of history Mm. like we kind of think about it in rather simplistic terms sometimes but it's like no like you know bob dylan really did something you know like he really changed everything for a lot of people and at like a fundamental level and like there's so many people who maybe wouldn't even be doing what they're doing right now if it wasn't for the things he did and that the same thing goes for even newer artists, there's a good chance I wouldn't be as into guitar had I not got obsessed with Thrice as a teenager. Yes, you know, dude, Thrice. Ugh. So it's been good. a while since I gushed over those boys. Man, oh, they're so man. good. I haven't even I haven't even heard that word in too long. Oh, they're Jesus. they're so good. And I I mean I still have to pinch myself that I'm like Tepe and Ed have been on the show, and I'm like That's these so are sick. some of my biggest influences. That's so cool, dude. Congrats oh, for that, man. Such cool guys too. They say don't meet your heroes, but so far I gotta say that's nonsense. My <laughs> heroes have all been super cool. <laughs> yeah, dude, you 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 made some good choices, man. Oh man, good stuff, dude. It's 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 something. There's something really interesting about that, though. Just like because I'm I'm thinking about something that I just saw today, which was interesting. But like the act of someone growing into their higher self and just being their best self puts you in a position of influence because the world across the globe is trying to like just become a better version of themselves. So when you step into that person and you become who you're trying to be, people around you start to look at what you say, the things you do as some form of like something to model themselves after. Right. And I just saw today, I don't even know the guy's name. There's some like world famous soccer player who just, he was doing an interview, I think this morning or last night. And he really like, not nicely in a way that I love removed Coca-Cola. It was, it was sitting on his like stand where he was doing the microphone. He moved the Coca-Cola and like slammed a water bottle down and pointed at the water bottle and Coca-Cola, <laughs> Coca-Cola's stock went down $4 billion today because of it. Really? And I love that. <laughs> like I mean, this, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, just like, it doesn't even have to be an artist. It's just like going after the thing and growing into it gives you power to do things for the world and for people. You know, that is that is something that's interesting. Also, drink more water, everybody. Yeah. Let's be honest. This Dude, is ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm on my second can of liquid death as we speak. Oh, liquid death. I have uh, I just got some of that from the, they they started distributing in my area. So I just yep. grabbed some the other day. Dude, it it's is so fun. It f- makes you feel like you're drinking a tall boy. 
I this- feel like I drink more water because I'm cooler while I do it. That's right. Murder your thirst, everyone. Uh, this it's episode so not sponsored by Liquid Death, but yeah. hey, your boy's out here. Anyway. Um, now, now taking sponsorships. Hey, I'm always taking sponsorships. I've been very <laughs> open about that. Never fear. Your boy is for sale. I love uh, it. You know, only the things I like, though. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Coca-Cola. It's probably not going to be for you. Not going to happen. But, uh, you know, we've reached this. Uh, we're, we've, we've almost hit the hour mark in this podcast. And there are a few classic questions that I like to ask to wrap this thing up. But before I do that, this is your chance to take the floor, say whatever you want to say, you know, give a shout out to your Aunt Gertrude, whatever you want to do. Yeah. This is it. Uh, Aunt Gertie, I never had you. Don't know who you are, but I miss you. Um, no, more importantly, dude, like my... My focus these days, besides just like being the best band member and being available to just make all of that happen in the best way possible, my focus is helping people become better guitar players and in in a way that's not traditional or standard at all. I'm, I approach things typically from like a mindset point of view, and I'm typically tackling things from like what almost feels like a hack perspective, like I'm trying to hack things, I'm trying to get inside of stuff and change the way that you think about something, which will change the way that it physically comes out of you. Um, And I've developed over the course of like the past 12, 14 years of teaching this way, I've developed some pretty, pretty, pretty crazy content and styles and courses and all of these kinds of things. And it's spiraling into quite a big thing that I'm, that I'm getting ready to kind of launch. But right now, the easiest way to talk about it is currently it's called Sugarman's Lesson Lounge. Um, and right now it is a discord group that I am constantly dropping tons of content to. I'm giving you guys like mind opening journal prompts to get you to think about things differently. I'm giving you blogs and blogs and backstories. There's tons of resources inside of there, discounts from all these companies that I work with. Um, we have an in-house guitar pair, repair and luthier. Really it's a luthier. If, if you guys know what the word is, that's the legit one. Um, but he's like a freaking guru and helps people constantly. Um, we've got networking skills, marketing skills. We've got uh, a large, I should like, honestly, I need to stop because there's so many freaking amazing things that are available to people for free in there. Just go to sugarmanslessonlounge.com and you can get access to that. Um, and right now, I highly recommend getting in because it is free at the moment. Um, and very soon we will be launching the next tier of this greater phase of my business that I'm launching. Um, which is going to be getting into the live streaming. Let me give you some really, really awesome live lesson content for you, directly to you. And that's going to be where that's headed. And it's really, really exciting. The people that we're partnering with, the people we're talking to, I couldn't be more stoked about where that's going. So head to SugarmansLessonLounge.com if you guys want to get in before things get crazy and you will have direct access to hands-on help from me, as well as the support and uh, positivity from 500 other students of mine. And it's, it's such an awesome place to just talk music and guitar. Um, and besides, yeah. So what was that dude? Sorry. I'm I was just going nice. hard. Nice. 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 Yeah, nice. It's, yep. It's, it's, it's very, very cool, man. It's been a long time coming. It's been a community idea that I've had for literally forever. Um, this is the continuation of all of the ideas that I brought to the table with my previous company that is defunct. And I'm moving forward with, with everything that I've been wanting to do for ages the partners that I have are the freaking best and it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm super, super excited to be able to deliver 
content to players that is going to actually get them to level up because I don't want to talk crap on anyone, but I see far too much carrot and stick method going on in the world of online lessons. And what I mean by that is, let me have you watch this video about this topic you're coming to me to until the very end when I say, go pay for my course to get this. That's called carrot and stick method. And I am super not into that stuff. I'm more into giveaway as much content that's going to help somebody so that they recognize that there's value in being around the like the drip down, trickle down content that's coming, right? And I'm not concerned about people stealing stuff because I have confidence in the fact that every teacher that's out there is the best at teaching what they do. So I'm not concerned that someone's going to come across and, and take the idea or take the thing because in reality, no one can do what Blake can do, right? No one could do, no one else could have a tone mob podcast that kills it like you do. And I'm thinking that will be the same with this. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that whatever we do, whatever we step into our higher selves, that's the case. And I think knowing that in ourselves allows you to kind of move forward confidently without the imposter syndrome. Am I good enough voice? That's always screaming in the back of your head. Right. So always it's, it's always (laughs) always there, dude. Even now I'm like, dude, why am I on this podcast? I should be practicing. You know what I mean? I gotta be, I gotta be better. Like it's always, it's always there guys. So um, that's something that I'm really excited to deliver to you guys. And it's, it's very, very based on the lead aspect. It's based on the technical aspect. It's based on mindset. It's based on music theory and application. And it's a blast. Um, and besides all of that stuff, I'm also constantly making uh, my own solo music. I actually have a song that's getting ready. I'm getting on a call with him after this to do the final mix. And that'll be a single that I'm releasing soon. Um, I have two solo albums that have been released previously to this. I have my album Center Sun, which I mentioned earlier. That was like the journaling of going through stuff that my mom was going through. And just then my second album, Inside Out Part One, was, I guess, another journal. And this this process, if I look back at this, kind of the title that I named for it is super indicative of what was happening. It was me inside the trauma. And I finished the record after my mom passed outside of the trauma. And both of those emotions are instilled deeply into that record. Um, And because of that, it is such a emotionally challenging thing for me myself to listen to. But I have hundreds and hundreds of messages from people who feel what I put into that record and respond to me saying, thank you for like, you know, sharing what you've gone through. My father's sick or I lost my mother years ago. And it really inspires me that you can make art with it and connect with people. So like, that's what I'm for. Like all of my lesson lounge stuff is to help people. I'm making music because I want to help people and show people that through one of the hardest things ever. Like I know I'm going to have a lot more challenging things in my life, but I don't know anyone on this earth who's not going to lose their mom at some point. So like, it's something that is so, so, so real. And there's some catharsis in learning how to use art to get that out there. And the second that you show people you could do it, they recognize that they can make things happen themselves. And that's I'm a rap there, dude. That's why I do what I do. So if you're interested in that stuff, if you want to support what I do personally, if you want to get in on the lesson lounge, if you want to get private lessons with me, reach out to me and we'll talk. I'm super approachable at Dan Sugarman's all my socials. So let's chat. There you go. That's good. That's all good stuff, man. Thanks for doing what you do. It's it's really cool. It's a blast, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, we've got the the final questions to wrap this thing up, and then we're going to carrot and stick on over to Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the the thing, dude, is like, it's just what it is, right? Like, (laughs) we all do it. I just just feel like when you hold really, like, helpful information over someone's head and you're like, 
for the next payment, you'll get that. It's just like the secret is that over on Patreon, it's more of the same thing. Just more of it. <laughs> Dude, I, I love it, man. And in reality, like I said, I'm an entrepreneur and de- developing and designing funnels that work are a huge part of how I operate. So I understand the game. It's just like finding ways to not make people turn into marginalized numbers. Like I don't want my clients to feel like a number on an Excel sheet, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. You gotta you gotta give people what something they can actually work with. That's yeah. that's really what it is at the end it, of the exactly, day. Exactly, dude. Exactly. But everyone go sign up for Blake's Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Final questions. First of all, what's your favorite boss pedal? Damn. Well, it's got it. It's got a. Oh man, is that the OD, the orange one? The DS one? Is it orange? It, uh, yeah, the DS one's orange. Yeah, that was my first pedal that I got when I went to my first guitar lesson, only with an acoustic. Convinced my dad that I needed that pedal. You, well, you did. And you I definitely clear, did. Clearly, I would not be the man I am today had I not convinced my dad of that. That's true. You do play metal. And, you know, <laughs> I DS1, almost, and, I almost yeah. entered the metal zone, but instead I uh, just got a DS1. <laughs> the DS1 is... I, I made a video on it. It's an underrated pedal. I'm just gonna go out there and say. Does it, it. People, does it still hold up, dude? Dude, you just gotta, you just gotta, you gotta set it differently than what you think you have to. That's the that's the key. Everyone puts puts a, the tone knob up too high on it, and they're like, oh, it's so shrill. Yeah, you gotta back it down. I don't know why they designed it like that because honestly, most guitar pedals don't have that much high end in it. But you gotta back that high end off, and whoo. It really starts to come alive. It's a, it's kind of a secret. It's, it's weird. It's like it's one of the best-selling distortion pedals in history, and it's almost like it's like a good pedal. Yeah, weird, it's, and, works, it's, right? and it's simultaneously, I feel like, turned into a meme of sorts, and mm-hmm. and I feel like I got to pull that thing out of my my box of old crap and plug her in, dude. Maybe maybe I'll make a record on it. That <laughs> you you might you might be surprised. Okay, this is the last That's hilarious, question. dude. That's <laughs> all right last question this is the one that gets people in trouble but as a touring musician you should have sampled a lot of these things and you sh- you should have a, a solid opinion on it by now bring it on what's your favorite kind of pizza dude are you ready for probably what is the worst answer on your entire podcast of all time oh no is this gonna be the time i'm gluten-free and vegan mm. so like am i ever even eating pizza Hmm. Have you always been? All right. If you want to play that game, I'll go. I'll go back to my to, to years ago. But like, it's been. I've been vegan, gluten free. I've been not eating dairy and being gluten free for over eight years. I've been vegan for the past two. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a while, dude. It's been it's been a long while. I would say. Oh man. You know what? I'm just going to go based on like when I'm on tour and I, whenever my jealousy and envy gets that high, I have one instance. There's okay. this spot called the TLA in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a venue. Um, across the street, you could get a slice of pizza that is like larger than your to- torso and wider, <laughs> and wider, th- wider than like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is like literally like a three pound, one piece of pizza. Nice. As far as like size, it. as far as size goes, man, psh, that thing looks like slice of heaven. What do you remember the name of this place? Or... Dude, it's probably something like Big Daddy's. 
it's got it's got to it's got to be something along along those lines. Um, but then if I revert back to my childhood and growing up, definitely Valentino's Pizza in uh in Redondo Beach, California. That's like it's a very 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 good New York style pizza made in Cali, which probably means nothing to anyone, but that is a good piece of za for sure. Right on, man. See, I knew you'd have an answer. I knew. I'm, I'm I'm digging deep though, man. If if because otherwise I'd be like, well, there's this there's this great granola spot uh, in Los Angeles where you could get a pizza <laughs> made of cardboard. <laughs> mm, like, my yeah. Mm. yeah, yum. But yes. hey, I, I understand. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. Everyone's got their thing, so I understand. Yeah. I mean, dude, if there are any vegan, gluten free people out there, there's a great spot called Town Pizza in Los Angeles that makes an unbelievable piece of pizza. This and it's probably to a degree where like real pizza heads would say, screw you, but there's like vegan feta cheese on it and like pieces of fig and like tempeh bacon. It's like a very strange hmm. slice of pizza and it's, it's different. It's fancy and it's really, really good. And then there's another, dude, I mean, if, if you're not down with a fig on, on some, some food, then you've, you can't call yourself a foodie, you know? Yeah. I like me some fig. Fig, fig be good times. Yeah. Fig. I, I'm down with fig. I'd try it. It's, it's good, dude. And then and then there's this other spot called Sage Bistro uh, where I get a buffalo cauliflower pizza that's just smothered in buffalo sauce. And that's just like, that's when you want to feel like crap. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's probably relative, though. Like, it's not the same kind of crap you, I feel after I demolish an entire New York pizza. I'm sure. No. And if, and if I ate one of your pizzas, I would offer to paint your walls for free. And it's not paint. <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah you know what i mean so like i feel you i feel you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gotcha yeah I'm a, pro- I'm a professional painter on uh certain days of the week i gotcha when the gluten kicks in yes yeah. sir that dairy too man those those things combined that's uh that's like some hiroshima kind of <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> <laughs> oh god right Right on, man. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap this thing yeah, up. Yeah, dude. Best, best place there. Let's do it. I love it. All right, everybody. For Dan, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I repeat myself all the time, but I don't know what else to say. I really do hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was a great time talking to Dan. And please check out all of his guitar stuff. Check him out. Hit him up. He's a good dude. We had a lot of fun. And if you would like more of this conversation, in fact, this conversation got pretty off the rails. I'm not going to lie. Dan and I started talking about diets. And you know I like to talk about food. And you know that uh, pizza is a passion of mine. But we really went off the rails with the, the whole diet talk on the Patreon section of the podcast. We went on a very long tangent about veganism and uh, (laughs) my lack thereof and a bunch of other stuff. And it was a really, I don't know, I always think it's a very cool thing to talk to people who have very, very different viewpoints from your own, but you can totally see where they're coming from. And that is a, a big thing that happened on this Patreon episode. And if you would like to hear about our varying takes on eating food, which is kind of a weird thing to say, 
then go to patreon.com slash tone mob and please help support this show and please help keep it going and you will get extra content delivered to your ears every week. There are hundreds of hours over there at this point of extra content. If that is your thing, please help support the show and for less than the price of a cup of coffee. I know that's cliche, but it's true. You can go to Starbucks for a lot more money than helping support this podcast. So please, 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 if you can, go to patreon.com slash tonemob and support. If you can't, no worries. Please help support the show. If you heard a big pause there, that was because I I heard what sounded like an explosion outside the shred shed. I even felt a little vibration. But it is the uh, the fourth as I'm recording this. That was a little bit weird. I don't know if you heard that on the microphone or not, but it threw me off a little. I was in the flow, so I kept going, and I'm still going. Here we go. Anyway, <laughs> if you could please spread the word about this podcast, please, please, please. That's the whole thing is just people telling other people about this. I know I ask that on basically every episode, but I really mean it. The only way this thing keeps going is from people spreading the word, and that is what I would really appreciate it if you could do. So without, I don't know, further ado, we'll get into the end of the episode. I don't know. I'm tired, everybody. I'm making no sense. Not that I make sense in the first place. If you're in the States, I hope you had a good fourth. And anywhere else in the world, I hope you are doing great at everything that you could possibly pursue in life. You are fantastic and beautiful and so, so, so awesome. Anyway, I'm, I'm so tired. I'll sign off for tonight. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got... Three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.